1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: you're listening to Blue Jays Nation radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk a member of the nation network of podcasts welcome into
3: episode 20 of Blue Jays Nation radio I'm Tyler Uremchuk Cam Lewis is here as always and uh, a special guest a special third co-host here for the episode Paul Berthelot writer with Jays Nation Paul how's it going man
1: going great how are you guys good to
3: be uh good to be on be happier if they won two out of three but other than that i suppose all things considered it's all right it was that was miserable it was yeah okay. would have been would have been nice to have
1: joined after a better series but what can you do i guess why talk to have good pitching so
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they just look like a really good ball club, save the eighth inning in game two where they looked like a rec league slow pitch team the way they were pushing the ball around. Um, We're going to get into this series here. Jays dropped two out of three. Not an ideal start to the road trip, but Coombsy, we kind of talked in the last episode about, you know, if they would have taken two out of the three, that would have been viewed as like a pretty big success. So not like
2: overly disappointed that, you know, they only grabbed the one win. Yeah, we're coming back with the exact same sentiment that we had when they lost two or three to Houston. We're kind of just like, uh, eh, that's not shocking. But also the fact that we've done this in back-to-back series is kind of sad. The yeah, fact that, fair. you know, we, we think we have higher aspirations for the team than this. And it seems more often than not, we're like, "yeah, it's fine. They, you know, went and lost two out of three games to team X. So that's not the best sign, but you're not wrong. It isn't particularly surprising. I'm to be completely frank with you. Happy. They didn't get swept. Like it feels like they, yeah are lucky they did not get swept in that series.
3: They didn't have their A game, you could argue they didn't really have their B game in any of those. <laughs> I whenever I'm talking to people about people about the Jays right now, I keep saying like, oh, but the schedule's getting easier. Like that's my crutch right now. So Paul, are we maybe being too easy on them for only having two wins in their last six? Or do you think it's okay to look ahead and go, schedule's getting easier. They just gotta survive these next week or so.
1: You know, we, we keep saying the schedule's gonna get easier but there comes a point if you want to be a good team, you got to beat good teams, and you know what, we got to start winning two out of three from the White Sox and Houston, and you know the Yankees and Red Sox. We can't be just keep winning one if we want to be, you know, in the postseason independent race. Eventually, you gotta, you can't rely on taking you know ten games from Baltimore as much as we think that's going to happen. It just it might not. So, that, that should beat some of those good teams.
3: And that's a good point too. If you want to make up ground in a playoff race, which you eventually need to start making ground up in uh, that. You're right. You need to start beating some good teams with a little bit more consistency. Uh, let's get into everyone's favorite segment. It's three up, three down, brought to you by Twig and Berries. They got their Father's Day line out right now. Whether you need a card for your dad, a mug, a keychain, they all come branded with the simple lettering Father of the Goddamn Year. And I like that. I think it's kind of funny. Uh, promo code nation 15 gets you 15% off free shipping in Canada on orders. $75 or more. Since there's three of us, three up, three down works. Well, we can each give one up. We can each give one down since they lost though. We will start with the down and Paul, I'll come to you. What's your down from the series against Chicago. Uh, my down
1: is going to be the bullpen. Um wasn't great. I didn't like seeing Trent Thornton come in there in, in the eighth inning. Um, I know he's pitched pretty well this season, but I don't, I don't see him really as a high leverage guy, but at the same time, they don't have another really great options down there. You've got the praise keeps, praise keeps getting thrown around. They've got one and a half good relievers and you've yeah. got Romano and you know, maybe Dolis will give you something, maybe chat will give you something, but right now it's tough. And we saw that again, even they brought in Edwards jr. Afterwards in that first game, you have a couple of runs. I mean, Castro gave up a home run today. You're just hard to trust anybody other than Romano right now. And that's, that's a concern. So they're, they're going to be my down.
3: Yeah. Then that makes sense too. I was looking at the bullpen as well as being my down. And it's something that until guys start getting healthy, you wonder if there is going to be any sort of turnaround here. Uh, Coombsy, what's your down for the series against Chicago?
2: That's a, my, mine's kind of like a, a little bit general and a little bit vague, but I'll, I'll, I'll specify a little bit more as I go along. The bats, this series were surprisingly bad. I mean, pretty much one of the best things about the team this season is their offense has been quite good. And it's a little bit worrying when they go on the road like this and they can't hit worth shit. Like there's been tons of talk like, Oh, they hit well in Dunedin because it's a fucking little league park or they hit well in Buffalo because it's a fucking triple a park. And then they go Chicago, Houston, wherever. And they're not in Oakland and they're not hitting much. And for me, it was today's start was particularly bad because, um, the starter, fuck, what was his name? Jesus Dallas Keuchel, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Dallas Keuchel strikes out nobody. And the Jays were striking out crazy. I think through the first two innings of the game, he struck out five guys. And that was, I think, tied for his season mm-hmm. high, which is insane. Yeah. But the specifically, like, really bad one, and I usually am not critical of this player. I'm a big fan of his. That base is loaded at bat by oh, Piosco Hernandez God. in game two with the three-out count, Mike.
1: God.
2: Yeah. That, no, just man. reckless swing that they just lucked into scoring two runs because the ball was thrown into space. But if not for that error by the White Sox, there's a pretty good chance this game goes on as a sweep or the series goes on as a sweep and that rally in game two does not happen. So it was a thoroughly unimpressive, uninspiring performance from the Bats
3: this week. They, they struck out a total of 34 times in that series, which is insane. Mm. Um, Yeah, I did the quick math. So hopefully my math's right on that, but 11, 11 and 12. And also, yeah, that Teoscar one, like I get swinging on three, and zero because it can work sometimes, right? If some pitcher or some reliever is just going to hang you one and you kind of know what's coming attack. And I understand that hitting at the major league level is hard, but if you're going to get the green light on three, and zero, and you want your manager to trust you in that situation, you don't swing at shit. That's like four inches below your knees. Like, that's just ridiculous. What did you think of that, Paul?
1: I agree with that. I remember I saw the kind of screaming at the TV. Like, what are you swinging at? Right? Like, you're gonna swing through You gotta, you gotta swing into strike, or you do a George Furion and you hit a ball at your eyes. But you hit in mm-hmm. the park. You know, if yeah. he takes that ball and hits a double off the wall, we're happy with that. But <laughs> you can't ground it. You can't ground it into a double play ball there in that situation. That's just not. That's just not a good decision at the plate at all.
3: Hundred uh, percent. My down. I'm going to go with leaving runners in scoring position, uh, specifically in Game One. They left four runners in scoring position. They got eight hits in that game. Like there were moments it looked like they were starting to get to Carlos Rodon, and it's just that finishing element. It's coming through with runners in scoring position. It's stringing multiple hits together. Um, I guess I'm just in a way kind of piggybacking off off cams down here, but there really isn't much more to pick on. Like the starters weren't bad. Like Paul said, the relief the relievers weren't great. And the hitting was brutal. And with this team, that's kind of the one area we're expecting to not be brutal is the hitting. And even in the game, they won. If it wasn't for the White Sox forgetting how to field for 45 minutes, this series could have easily been a sweep. So the offense was incredibly disappointing for a handful of reasons. Uh, let's try to keep it positive, though. And, uh, Paul, what's your up from this series?
1: Uh, I'm going to go with Robbie Ray is my up. I mean, 13 strikeouts is... <laughs> That was a heck of a start to get there, Gabe. Got us into the seventh. It um, just fortunately couldn't score more runs. for on that home run. He gave up to Vaughn. Kind of put a damper on it, but I mean, he was filthy and that's uh, what we kind of expected to see from, from Ray all season.
2: Coombsy, what do you got? Now, this might sound kind of stupid because it wasn't like a spectacular debut, but I enjoyed watching Riley Adams yeah. play this week. It was just yeah. nice. I mean, maybe I've just become so sour on Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire, just not expecting them to hit anything that just any different guy behind the plate is very exciting now. Maybe it's just shiny new toy syndrome, but even in today's game, uh, Adams, um, you know, he didn't pick up a hit, but he crushed one ball, 110 miles an hour. That was the second hardest hit ball of the game. He had another one, the fly out that was 95 miles an hour. And then in his debut, he smashed that double. And it's like, this guy's got some like pretty Supreme power. And that's nice to see. And then, I mean, like, even coming up behind him, like Gabe Moreno, like everyone's freaking out about this guy in double A's killing it. And then Alejandro Kirk's on the injured list. It's like, where is this team going to go with catching? Because there's a lot of good catchers in the mix and the two good catchers, like the the ones they have on their big league roster, Johnson McGuire, are not them. I mean, they're both fine defensively, but neither of them can hit worth a lick. And it's like, it's going to be fascinating to see exactly how the Blue Jays handle having all these guys in the 40-man roster. Five catchers in the 40-man, that's such a, that's such a bizarre anomaly.
3: And, seeing how Absolutely. Gabe goes throughout the year, it could get to a point where it's like five guys who need to be playing in A or higher. Right. Like that, that decision, that clock's ticking pretty loud right now. Right, Paul? It is. Yeah. Especially with Moreno.
1: He's already on 40 minutes, as we said. Right. So he's, yeah. he's getting there and we'll see, you know, if James McGuire can't hit, <laughs> you know, maybe they end up on another team potentially, especially at the deadline that's the piece you can move. For one of those relievers, we're talking about maybe a team takes a chance on him, Jansen and see if they can kind of fix his offense or get him hitting a little bit back to where he was as a prospect.
3: Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, also, with Adams, he comes up to pinch hit in that game they won, and he actually yes. draws a walk and comes around to score as well. So no, it was leading.
2: he he struck out, but he ran. Oh yeah, he ran yeah. to first. Yeah. <laughs> he 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 struck out, yeah. but that guy who was pitching, Bummer, yeah, which is a hilarious name, hilarious name for relievers specifically to have yeah. bummer mm-hmm. and that guy was throwing it all over the place and uh yeah adam struck out but he ripped to first base pretty pretty mm-hmm. good wheels for you know six yeah. foot five catcher like yeah. pretty pretty impressive stuff so came feeling pretty his, good about that guy
3: he came up his next at bat and walked i think then because they haven't given him a walk yeah in the ninth you... i think yeah i think yeah. um that was a blur my up for this mm-hmm. series is going to be marcus semian and now uh, you might be sitting there going well he didn't have a multi-hit game or anything like that uh, but as Sportsnet stats on Twitter pointed out, Marcus Semien set a franchise record with a 23-game hit streak on the road, and this is a guy who, Coomsy, when we did our season preview episode, I was really excited about Semien. As you know, you see a guy who in 2019 got MVP votes, was an MVP candidate, and they got him on a one-year deal. Looked like he was potentially going to fill a need in the infield, and I mean, as as it ends up playing out. Biggio struggles and gets hurt. So Semyon really filled the need for you. Springer gets hurt and he's your leadoff guy. And he sputtered a little at the beginning of the season. And we're going to transition now out of three up three down, just to talk about some of our big subjects here. But Semyon's one of them where he went from struggling early on, having to get moved out of that leadoff spot. And since he's been put back, it's just been lights out. Paul, you got to love, just absolutely love what they've gotten from Semyon recently.
1: Oh, absolutely. I remember thinking about writing a post about this in, in late April. I'm like, oh, he's hitting the ball really well, but I looked at his stats, and it's, you know, a 92 wrc plus. I'm like, okay, same old time. I like, you know, it kind of is what he is his whole career in Oakland. This same type of guy we're just getting that. Like, no big deal. And then he goes off in, in May, and he's, you know, player of the month, the best best hitter on the team, which is a lot especially because they got Vladdy on the team. He had an unreal month, and he's you know, been the MVP candidate from 2019 that we didn't think we were going to get, and we've got it, and it's pretty awesome to watch him
2: whom's your take on Semyon? Yeah. The question now kind of becomes with Semyon, like, is he like a long-term part of the team? Like if he, if he has this season for the full 2021, like he's going to get paid, right? Like can the Jays afford to pay him this offseason? Is that, you know, is that where they're going to spend their money? Like they obviously, they signed Ryu uh, in 2019 and then it was Springer last year with the huge contract. And it's like, okay, are they going to do another big contract this year? If they do another big contract, is it going to be, you know, a position player or is it going to be pitchers? Like what's the need here? And so you have, and I mean, you can even put Robbie Ray into this equation as well. Like another up that we had in our, in our three up, three down is Mm -hmm. both Ray and Simeon, like interesting decisions there because both, you can definitely make an argument for like multi-year contracts and it'll be interesting to see how they handle that.
3: Not to be doom and gloom here, but how do you handle those two? If you're 10 games out of the wildcard spot at the deadline? well, Well, right. Like that's a conversation. I don't, I don't want to have that conversation at all really, but it is worth mentioning. I had someone text into the radio show. I do the other day and ask me that question. They were like, do you, are you thinking about how much you can get for these guys? And it's like, fuck, they're only three games back right now. So you're hoping we don't have that conversation with all these games coming up against Baltimore. They should at least be in the mix, but the deadline is going to be fascinating for this team because we talked about the catchers. We talked about everything they need. And uh, that's where I'll go next with you here, Paul. Um, is just with the deadline coming up. What what's your best guess on what they're going to kind of do here? Like if they add, is it a significant arm to the rotation? Are they just adding bullpen pieces at this point with Manoa coming up now and looking like he's going to be, you know, a fairly permanent fixture here? What what do you think happens in July?
1: Hard to say. I I think we all want them to go after Max Scherzer or one of those big those big starting pitchers, maybe someone in Colorado kind of thing. Yeah, but it might just be. Kind of the way the Jays have operated too. I don't know if they're going to be a big splashy with like Shapiro Atkins. They haven't really been a big splashy trade deadline team like last year, obviously notwithstanding. But it might just be bullpen pieces and maybe you know we hear they're kind of cliche, but maybe Springer's your deadline acquisition He's so get him back healthy. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, <that's laughs>
0: kind of silly to think, but,
1: but you know I know I hate when we have to talk about that. But if he comes back in July, that's a huge ad for the team, and if maybe you don't go after a big bat, then if he's there and. You know, if Stripling keeps going, everybody, the changes he's made and if Manoa can pitch well, maybe you're okay with the rotation and just a bullpen ad, or a more bullpen arm you add.
3: That'd be interesting. Uh, like, fuck, I'd almost want two bullpen arms. But again, you talked about... I almost spring. want like
2: seven or eight bullpen arms. To be well, yeah, <laughs> you,
3: you talked about Springer coming back being like a faux deadline ad, Even getting a guy like Meriwether back, if he's giving you what he gave you that first weekend and if you're confident in him getting back to that level... Like him returning to the lineup at some point here, that'll be a huge addition for this team as well. Like anyone who
2: can give you reliable innings right now would be a welcome, welcome sight. Oh yeah. There's 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 like nothing yeah. right now. I mean, like, let's be real here. Like, if you mm-hmm. if you're up by one in the ninth inning, who are you even really putting out there? Is it Romano's the the number one there right now? Like yeah. Dolis, really? Like Chatwood's been all over the grid. Castro they're saying is gonna be in high leverage spots. Now he's been okay kind of hit and miss and then it's like trent thornton like joel pamps it's pretty ugly stuff like i'd say like if they're actually going to contend at all then it seems like you're probably going to need to acquire at least like three veteran relievers
3: yeah at least yeah yeah, yeah, five, yeah. jawa did have a clean inning in this series so maybe did. we're building something huh maybe <laughs> maybe I'll maybe there's so. a
2: maybe there's a pitcher down in AAA that could use as a reliever can you think of anybody
3: That idea is starting to grow on me. The idea of Nate Pearson up here, just because we saw him come through in the playoffs for them. And, you know, Aaron Sanchez in 2015 is kind of what I think of, right? Is that young arm, strong guy who, you know, maybe isn't ready for major league starts yet, which clearly Pearson isn't. Maybe you do bring him up halfway through July and just go, you know what, stretching you out to be a starter is great, but we need, we need wins now. And you're a guy who can help us deliver wins now. Paul, what do you think of that idea?
1: It's starting to grow on me too. As we said, just like with, with Sanchez, it doesn't mean Pearson's a bullpen forever. You come up for, for this season and I think Sanchez in 2015 was good. Cause he could throw, he'd come in in the seventh inning, get out of a jam and then throw the eighth. If you weren't that set on him throwing one inning. He can be inning in a bit, two innings if needed. I think Pearson could be the same thing. If he comes in throwing a hundred, gets you out of a jam in the sixth, seventh, let him go to the eighth, ninth. Like he's got to, yeah. he can give you multi-innings. It'd be huge.
3: Yeah, that's that that is it I I think we're all in the same boat where that's starting to kind of uh grow on us. Uh Coom, you wrote in here that he had a pretty good start last time out.
2: Pearson. He did. He um I think it was the last time I saw he had gone through five innings and hadn't allowed a run, but he did walk three guys. The walks you don't like to see, but he struck out six, so it wasn't perfect, but it wasn't terrible at all. It was yeah. kind of what you expect to see from Pearson at this point, honestly. And I don't know, like <laughs> it's uh you hate to <laughs> You obviously can't write him off as a starter. There's, there's, there's yeah. simply no way you can go ahead and do that given his age. But I mean, just it's hard at this point to, to imagine them keeping him down in AAA starting, kind of going through that slog all year while they have this completely dog shit bullpen with no good arms left
3: maybe and, that's even good for him mentally to be like, you know what, yeah. forget about trying to go four or five, Nate. You just focus on your on your shit and what you're good at and get good at doing yeah. one or two and we'll build from there in the off season.
2: Yeah, since you're not worried about trying to go six innings and your stamina and this and that and mixing pitches, you can come in and throw 107 miles an hour and freak everybody <laughs> out and just be insane. And it'd be cool. Everybody wants to see that. That's what we all want. So just make Nate Pearson a reliever for this year and we'll figure it out again next year. Who cares? Just let it happen. This is what it is. Yeah. Uh,
3: I'm cruising through our list of topics here while we're on the topic of starting pitchers. Uh, Ryu there, Nick Ashbourne wrote a piece on it about, you know, are we concerned about the blue Jays ace right now? It's now been back to back starts where he hasn't been great. Yeah. Um, Coombs, y'all start with you on this one. Uh, what, what did the piece kind of say? And, and are you concerned
2: about what they're getting from him? So Nick Ashbourne at Sportsnet went full negative Nick mode. And that's, that's, that's kind of his vibe. He does that. You know, he does his case analytical approaches and writes objective stuff about the Jays, writes good stuff, generally interesting stuff. And what he said this time around was that kinjin Ryu has been pretty much peripherally nowhere near as good as he was last season. You know, last season he was otherworldly, he was phenomenal. We all saw that. Unreal uh, finished top three in Cy Young voting. But this year, his changeup, which is kind of his, you know, his key pitch, his out pitch is one mile per hour slower than it was last year. And this is resulting in significantly fewer whiffs, the fewest whiffs on the changeup in his career. Hmm. So there's worries that he's obviously not an overpowering guy by any stretch of the imagination. He's a finesse pitcher, but there's worry that his stuff is kind of deteriorating. And maybe as he kind of goes through with this, not quite as good stuff, not quite as sharp, not quite as fast, then teams are now going to be able to hit him. And that's what we kind of saw today, you know, we allowed, or on uh, on in the third game is he, you know, had a rough go in the first inning. And it was the same time, you know, his last start out, he got lit up. And it's like, oh, geez, like it's back-to-back bad starts for the first time since he's been a Blue Jay, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's be real here. How many bad starts has this guy had? There was the one playoff start against the Rays was bad. Everything else pretty much has been good. But, Passable, you know, yeah. seeing two, seeing back-to-back, ho-hum starts from this guy's it's it's jarring especially when fucking nick writes his article today and it just happens to be on the same day that he allows three runs in the first inning
3: and that was yeah today like you look at you see the three runs come across in the first inning and it's like oh man are we we gonna have to go through this again today (laughs) what's your take on that paul like is this a concern for you do you think ryu was using spider tack and now everything's falling apart (laughs) wow
1: i don't want to go i don't want to go that far and accuse anybody (laughs) Um, the big thing for me with Ryu is it's still the velocity. I know he's not a hard thrower, but as we saw in that playoff start last year, if he's throwing at 89, he's not as effective as when he's throwing, you know, 90, 90 and a half, 91. And that's an issue. If he's at 80, 89, his ball can hit around, say, as Coombe as said, he's not getting the lift. He's just not as effective as he is when he's throwing 90. I know it's only the one mile an hour, but for a finesse guy, that, that's huge. And that something hopefully it's just kind of a little blip in the season. he can kind of get back to that
2: over sort of 90, where he's at. Because um, if, if if, if, if Ryu is broken in this season, it's gone. It was like ship.
3: when he got hurt in that game, right? And you saw the season flash before your eyes. It was like five games in or whatever it was. And like he went down and you were like, oh boy, we might be done already. Like, pack it up. Um, I, may, I joked about the foreign substance thing, but that is the number one story in baseball right now. Um, whatever. We got Garrett Cole's weird thing. I guess we can kind of start there because, you know, maybe he doesn't maybe he doesn't deserve to be the poster boy for this whole thing. Maybe it's unfair, but when you have that stuff attached to your name and you're also making more than $300 million on your contract, you kind of have that responsibility on you. Um, What do you, what do you make of what's going on here, Paul? And also what do you make of Garrett Cole's non answer to a yes or no question? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I think Cole should have had a better response planned, uh, planned for that interview. That was, I don't know if that's a PR or him. Someone should have been... Well, in, well you in knew you were going to be asked like, about it. <laughs> exactly. You knew that was coming. I don't know why he was so unprepared, but I was neither here nor there. Um, again, I agree with you. He doesn't deserve to be the face of this. Unfortunately, the big money, the big contract, you know, he got the spin rate boost from Houston and kept it with New York, obviously, playing for the Yankees. Um, him and Bauer, obviously, have that big rivalry, so who knows if that is a part of this as well, because Bowers seems to be on the other side, calling out pitchers too. Um, it's something that's becoming an issue, and hopefully the league can crack down on it, because we're not seeing, or we're seeing offensive numbers reach, you know, all-time lows and being really, really down, and this might might be an issue as to why.
2: There was another interesting point that Pete Alonso brought up, and he said the ball and the, uh, the way they hammer down on these things is changing year to year based on who's a free agent. Like, they had the live ball last year, and everything was a home run last year. Like, you'd put the fucking bat on the ball and it was out of the park. And now this year, nothing is going anywhere. It's dead ball era all over again. And it's like an insane shift from season to season. And it's like, why is this happening?
3: I don't know if I fully buy like Alonzo's conspiracy theory seems a little bit too far out there for me.
2: Yeah. Um, like who, 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 who is orchestrating Latin? Why?
3: Well, right, like there would be teams who have pitchers coming up for contracts this year. that would be like, whoa, what the hell? We're deadening the ball. That's going to cost me an extra whatever. Like if that is the conversation that's happening, I think it's weird. Um, But when it comes to the topic of the actual use of this, Caitlin McGrath had a good point about. And uh, this has been made by a lot of people as well. Um, You know, pitchers or hitters like when the pitchers can get a little bit of a grip because then they know the ball's not flying all over the place. They're not going to get beaned all the time. Like there is that. And the analogy I heard today, which I loved, and I forget who said it in the interview. So I wish I could give credit, but that's kind of my thing on this podcast is I forget everything. Um he, he said, it's like, he said, it's like speed limits, right? Where let's say the speed limit is 60. Okay. Well, if everyone is going 65, everyone's happy, right? If everyone's cheating a little bit, the pitchers are happy because they're getting a good grip. The hitters know it's a little bit predictable where the ball is going and they're not going to get beamed and pitchers aren't going to be wild. 65 is good. Traffic's flowing, everyone's happy. But as soon as you start going 30 over the speed limit and using this spider tax stucker stuff or whatever and all of a sudden your breaking balls going nuts and your fastball spinning like crazy and it's not dipping, it's going straight up or, or seemingly going straight up. That's when shit gets dangerous. You want to allow for almost like a little bit of cheating in this instance where pitchers can use something to get a bit of a grip. But the stuff that's going on right now is clearly a problem. But also, and maybe this is along Pete Alonzo's theory, the timing of this becoming a massive story just seems odd because you are both smart baseball fans. You've followed this sport for a while. This isn't a new thing. No. Pitchers using extreme shit is not no, brand no. new, right, Paul? That's correct. Yeah, this has been going on for... As long as baseball's been going on, right? Back, you
1: know, spitball back, you know, back in the day and guys with sandpapers, shaving the ball down, all that. It isn't, it's not a new thing. It's just with the technology we have and everything, it's gone from, you know, sunscreen and rosin and whatever to this tack, which you're basically gluing your, your fingers to the ball. <laughs> and you're seeing all these guys on YouTube and articles where random people off the street or random writers can boost their RPM. These aren't professional pitchers. These are just random writers who see a, you know, two, 300 RPM boost. That's not uh, significant for just some, you know someone who doesn't throw as their job, right? So,
2: <laughs> I think yeah. it's honestly, I think a lot of it comes down to it's kind of a domino effect from the Astros a few years ago getting caught with their trash can thing, and I think now everyone's extremely sensitive to cheating in baseball. It, it, even the science thing, like let's be honest, like when there's a runner at second base, you steal a sign. We probably, probably not everyone's doing it as tech extreme as the Astros, the way they did it. But like, you know, everybody was doing that. Like, you know, people accused the Jays of having the man in white. And there was no way Jose Bautista (laughs) was hitting because they were cheating and it's, you know, this and that, but now it's gone so extreme because I think everyone's still so bothered by the Astros thing. And now we're just trying so hard to, you know, rip all of this out of randomly just kind of like write a rule book of, about rules that were previously kind of unwritten or things that were kind of overlooked because everyone, a lot of the integrity of the game kind of got shit on with the Astros thing, yeah. I think. And
3: and that's a good point too, but the sign ceiling is almost a similar debate in that there's this spectrum when it comes to that, right? Like everyone knows when a guy is standing on second, he's going to watch the catcher signs and he's going to have some yeah. way to relay a message to the hitter, but everyone knows it. And everyone has the ability to do that. When yeah. the Houston Astros are setting up cameras and relay systems and all that, that's when the game, you know, the integrity of the game. And I, for those listening to the podcast, I have the air quotes up, you know, yeah. integrity of the game, because that's like a, a weird, loose term. But that's a similar debate to what we're having with this is like, you know, every pitcher is going to use sunscreen and rosin or do this, do that. But as soon as you start using this weird manufactured shit that like you said, Paul is allowing you to glue your fingers to the baseball. That's probably where you have to have the integrity of the game conversation at some point.
1: Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Like that's where yeah. sort of it's now. I think now it's becoming a problem for the league. It is. You've taken it now that one step too far. I think, you know, pine is again, already we've seen that being too far. This is going even further than that. And as we see with the offense on such a downturn, um, the other point I want to make, too, is with the CBA negotiations coming up, I've heard a lot of people talking about this is maybe the owners trying to get the players to go against each other. Maybe the players will fight amongst themselves and maybe not want to fight with the owners come CBA negotiations in, in the winter. But I could just be another Pete Alonzo conspiracy theory. I don't know, but I've
2: <laughs> seen that floating yeah. around out there a little bit. but It makes some sense. Yeah, I mean, it does make some sense because that would be a standard MLB thing, which is you know split the union in half. They were doing that. Last year during the pandemic, before the season got started, they were, you know, pitting players against each other with different contracts and how long the season was going to be and how they were going to divvy up money and blah, blah, blah. Rich players, poor players, mm. X, Y, and Z. But yeah, it seems like baseball, the league in general is in a, not the best position right now. It's, um, it's, it's been kind of an ugly few years for the league. And it
3: sucks. Cause like you look around the sport and from Vladdy to Acuna to Soto go down the list. The young talent in this sport is better than it's been. I don't know, well since I've been fucking following the thing. Like yeah, and and to too. have and to yeah. have that to have that and still have so many negative storylines swirling around. It sucks. Like as a baseball fan, like putting the Jays aside, it sucks to sit there. And when you know you're talking to your buddies who maybe aren't big baseball fans. This is what they want to talk about. Oh, what's going on with this whole, you know, whether it's Astro sign ceiling. Oh, what's going on with their season not starting? What's happening there? Oh, what's going on with these pitchers? Like, every big story in, that comes out of Major League Baseball
2: is, like, an objectively shit It's a film. controversy. Everything's, it everything's a problem now. Yeah. It's like, oh, like, there's half as many home runs all of a sudden. Oh, there's yeah. ten times as many strikeouts. Oh, like, this, this, this. It's just, yeah, it's weird, but... I mean, I couldn't care less about any of this so long as the Jays win, but... <laughs> Personal. All right, uh, mm-hmm. l- let's
3: uh, let's switch back here and wrap this up with a little look up at what's coming uh, in the next few days here for the Jays. And it is a three-four game set, sorry, against the Boston Red Sox. Starts Friday, seven ten Eastern, first pitch. Uh, a couple of well, four ten Eastern on Saturday, but then a nice matinee on Sunday, which I love. Uh, Coombsy, we do not get our weekday matinee though, because the finale on Monday is a seven ten Eastern start. Uh, You have written down here Richards, Pavetta, and Pereza, the first three going for Boston here. Yeah,
2: so we'll see all four of them except for Eduardo Rodriguez, who started on Thursday against the Astros. So it'll be everybody else except for. So that means I think we'll get Ivaldi in the finale, I think.
3: Looking at the American League East standings, the Jays right now, five and a half games back of the Boston Red Sox. Red Sox have a run differential that's 15 better than the Jays against teams above 500 this year. Boston 16 and 11. The Jays are now down to 17 and 20. Jays are 18 and 16 on the road. Uh, Paul, this series coming up here, like you kind of mentioned earlier, if you want to make some hay, get back in the race here a little bit, you got to take two out of three from teams like Boston.
1: Absolutely. I agree with that for sure. You got to, you got to beat Boston. We keep talking about Boston, you know, they're going to fall off. They're going to fall off. Well, let's kick the fall off right now. Let's take three or four. Let's go into Boston. And then, you know, you just kind of got your teeth, you know, teeth kicking against the White Sox. They had a bad series. Let's go out against the Red Sox and put up, you know, 40 runs in the four grand series. Let's go. Let's make some noise and let's say, Hey, we're here, you know, let's, let's do it. Like that's what where they got to be.
3: I also like that. Let's make some noise because the last two series have been pretty boring as well to watch. Like there hasn't been a lot of exciting games. You're in Fenway. Now's the time to kind of kick it into high gear, make some noise and play some exciting
2: baseball. Coomzy, what are you hoping for out of these four? Yeah, you, you, you can't do, you most certainly can't do any worse than two and two. That would be, that would be ugly. That'd be, we're talking about now, okay, this team might not be very good and we might not be part of like the big group in the American League. So there's seven games coming up here against the Red Sox and the Yankees. And I think you would like to go five and two and kind of prove a point that you're not like the the bitch of like the big four in the AL East, right? Like we all know the Orioles suck and there's four other teams that are in the mix, but you don't want to be the fourth team. And lots of people think the Red Sox are that fourth team. But right now it's the Jays, the Jays are the fourth team. The Red Sox have not yet fallen off a cliff. And I personally, it doesn't really seem like they will. Like everyone keeps saying it. Oh, the Red Sox are bad. Well, are they that bad? Like, (laughs) you know, we're more than a third of the way through the year and they're still fine. Like they should have fallen off a cliff by now. Right. So I think we have to assume the Red Sox are good. And that's that. And you got to beat the other teams that are good.
3: Before we wrap up, got to give some love to our friends at Viridian Global, who we've partnered with to give you the Dome Sweet Dome shirt. It's available on nationgear.ca. Go to the Blue Jays Nation tab. Look at that. Paul's even rocking it for this episode. That is beautiful. I love it. <laughs> available in every size. And it is Paul Berthelot approved. Uh, Paul, appreciate your time today, man. This was a ton of fun. We'll do it again. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, guys. Toomsy, you enjoy these ball games, my man. We'll talk next week.
2: Sounds good, Tyler. Thank you, is- then.
3: This has been episode 20 of Blue Jays at Nation Radio. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk again Monday after four against the Bo Sox.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Blue Jays Nation Radio. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.